Hi, my name is Carlos Lopez and I am the Global Programs Director for Magicians Without Borders and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of Magicians Without Borders Conversations where we will talk about our first ever education chapter in Santa Ana, El Salvador. We're going to be talking with Tom Werner and Michael Six Muldoon, who flew multiple times to Santa Ana, El Salvador, and helped get this education chapter started. So please sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Magicians Without Borders Conversations. My name is Carlos Lopez, and I am very, very happy to welcome once again, Tom Werner. How are you, Tom? I am great, Carlos. How are you there in Bogota? Good, good. A little bit cold, but nothing as cold as you experience over there in Vermont. But anyway, a little bit cold. So glad to yeah. have you to have this conversation. Yeah, this is uh, a wonderful part of my week, getting to talk to you and talk to uh, uh, whoever's listening. And I hope you're out there and uh, Carlos and I will tell you stories about this amazing organization, Magicians Without Borders. Yes, yes, Tom. So uh, let's get right into it. When we first did this, uh, uh, the, the first episode, we, we talked about how you traveled the world and how you, you've, you've gone to almost 40 countries and performed for over a, a million refugees and, and people in often war-torn war places and places that, you know, deserve magic, but usually don't have it. Have it. Yeah. And a, well, now we want to talk about a, a, a place in specific a place that I know is close to your heart and that uh, unfortunately it's it's very stigmatized still today um, uh, everywhere uh, and it's El Salvador. So, yeah. uh, so I just wanted to say, you know, how or, or why would you uh, uh, get, get in your mind that, hey, I want to go to El Salvador or how did that come about? Uh, I'm very interested in that story. Yeah. I be, before I I say that I just want to say um, the two most um, what what I would call soulful places that I've been mm -hmm. in all these actually it's over forty five countries now wow uh, that that we've traveled to the two places where the people to me and and the land in some ways feel so soulful are El Salvador and Guatemala which uh, the two of them are neighbors and both of them have suffered so much over the last 30 years and I'm ashamed to say have been you know, exploited by my country, uh, the United States. Um, but anyhow, I just want to say how much I love those two countries. And El Salvador, I've been to maybe now 
I think almost 25 times. Wow. And um, um, I, I was introduced to El Salvador in once again, and we've talked about this, uh, Carlos, um, mm -hmm. in one of those angel moments. Okay, what so we call angel moments or synchronicity. Yeah, those ser serendipitous uh, uh, experiences. Serendipitous moments. That you don't I, I, live, I live way out in the rural part of, of Vermont, and there's a center here called mm -hmm. the Sunray Meditation Center. Uh -huh. And they do meditation retreats and yoga and all those kind of things. And... Every year they have a gathering of spiritual leaders from various indigenous peoples around the world. And okay. um, one year uh, around, I'd say 2007, I think it was, uh, someone called me, a fellow named Richard Allen, mm -hmm. who I knew, um, who lived here in Lincoln uh, part of the time. And he said, there are two people from El Salvador who are staying at my house, Nana and Tata. Mm -hmm. And they're the spiritual leaders of indigenous people in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And I'd like you to come over Sunday morning and have breakfast. So I met them. I did some magic with them. And they told me these amazing stories about El Salvador and we set up, um, you know, I would come to El Salvador. And this fellow, Richard Allen, uh, whose house they were staying at, was connected to a nonprofit uh, in Santa Ana, El Salvador, yeah. called Asa Prosar. And okay. that was my introduction both to El Salvador and Asa Prosar. And and when you say as a prosar works, or it was the first time that you got in touch with a, a local partner that we now call them, uh, or a local partner where you eventually would would uh, do stuff with them, right? We would do not not just performing, yeah, but teaching. I mean, right? uh, yeah, the 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 lifeblood of magicians without borders is connecting with an on-the-ground local um, NGO or nonprofit in the many countries we've gone to, as we did in in Colombia at Bella Flor, uh, a fundacion in um, Ciudad Bolivar. So anyhow, I traveled down to El Salvador and met the doctor who runs Asa Prosar, which is a rural health clinic. Mm -hmm. And they have a clinic and they have um, uh, these things called nucleos, which are kind of preschools, mm -hmm. um, uh, about 25 of those. And then they have an after school program. And when we went there, Dr. Guzman said, would you, um, we, we have these uh, centers for preschool children, would you go and do magic shows for them? And there were, like I said, about 25 of them. And they were way, way out in the rural parts of El Salvador, 
on coffee fincas, on the sides of volcanoes, in the jungle, really, really um, out there places. Mm -hmm. So my wife, Janet, and I went around for about a week or 10 days and performed for all those kids. And we came back to Santa Ana and Dr. Guzman, the head of uh, Asaprosar said, I have one more favor to ask you. We have an after-school program and we work with a group of children called uh, Angelis Descalzos, the Barefoot Angels. Okay, okay. And Descalzos. they were called bare yeah, how do you say it in Spanish? Correct me, please. <laughs> Angeles Descalzos. Angeles Descalzos. Yes. So, and the reason they were called Barefoot Angels is that she met them when they were living in a garbage dump and they had no shoes and they were just rummaging through the garbage for things to sell or salvage or eat, unfortunately. But... They got them out of that garbage dump and living in Santa Ana and um, in school. And 12 of them were doing really, really well in school. So she said to me, she said, could you teach them uh, as a reward for doing so well in school, like um, some magic tricks? Mm -hmm. And my wife and I said, sure. So we met for a day with them and we taught them about, you know, a half dozen, six or so magic tricks. And at the end of the day, one of them, there were 12 of them, six girls, six boys, mm -hmm. one of them named Jaime Zumba. Mm -hmm. And Zumba said to us, when are you coming back? And you were like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I said, I, I, we had no plans to come back. You know, we, we, um, whatever. So I thought about our schedule. This was January, I think 2007. Um, I said, how about if we come back in May? So we went back to May in May and we met again with them. And I went back three times a year for the next 10 years. And, um, um, and, and, and through those, they became the when you, yeah. Go ahead. You, right before you said that that they became their first, right? When you say you came back and you came back, it, it, what happened every time you came back? Like, what was the the logistics in El, in El Salvador? Like, you flew, and then what what would you do every time you were back? Well, we we went back and. Um, Asa Prasar would set up shows for us in um, orphanages and schools and different places in Santa Ana. But the main reason we started going back was we would, um, we set up these, what I called, and apparently it's a funny word I made up, um, <laughs> campamentos no, it's a like little word. camps yeah, that's the word we use were, okay <laughs> um so we would meet at asaprasar for friday night saturday and sunday and asaprasar had beds 
because people would come from way out in the rural parts of El Salvador and have eye operations, mainly eye operations. The clinic specialized in um, diseases of the eye. So they had beds there. And so the barefoot angel magicians would come and we'd stay there Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, and all day Sunday, and we would learn magic. And that evolved into week-long campamentos that we would hold at some beautiful place. On Lake Cotopeque, there was a camp, and we would bring the kids out there. And then their after-school program, the kids who were not necessarily in the Magicians Without Borders magic program, getting to go to the annual big week-long campamento became a way to motivate the kids, the non-magician kids, to do well in school. Because we ended up having maybe a dozen kids in the magic program, but 50 kids at the campamento where we would do theater and magic and juggling and art and soccer, football. And um, so anyhow, that grew and grew and grew. And it became um, the first of now we have seven around the world um, education programs where we take young kids, get a local magician, and use magic to help them develop self-confidence and discipline and focus and so there's the bear. Oh, that's that, that's, there's a, that's the a little eight. picture that, 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 that I'm sharing now for, for those of you who might be listening uh, uh, later on the podcast. This is a wonderful picture taken by someone that I'm going to introduce you later. But this is the Angeles Discursos, yeah. uh, I guess, sort of the headquarters or where, where they had like their little, you know, permanent place in Santa Ana. They had, they had a very simple place and it was surrounded by walls because it was a it was a pretty dangerous difficult place um, near the bus uh, terminal mm -hmm. and um, oh it's so nice to see um, these faces there's Marie Stella and oh anyhow um, they would go there after school and um, the Angelistas Calsos would work with the younger kids and help them with their schoolwork. They would um, do their schoolwork, and that's where we would teach them magic at this uh, uh, place that uh, Asa Prasar had um, in Santa Ana. Okay, and, and, yeah. and when you were doing that, you were it was mostly you and Janet, right? You and Janet were the ones that traveled, but eventually you started getting more people involved. At which time yeah. uh, did you say, hey, I would like to have more magic teachers there? Or was that something that happened in another situation? Like, where was this thought of saying, hey, I want more magic teachers? Or, or where I, did that opportunity I, came about? Yeah, I really, really wanted more magicians to get involved because, as I said, the camp was getting bigger. And even though there were only like a dozen uh, Magician Without Borders 
kids who worked with magic every time we went down there. During the campamentos, we might have three magic sessions with 12 kids in each session. And it was just too much. And I also didn't speak um, Spanish. Um, So in 2010, I believe it was, or 2009, um, I went to the um, International Brotherhood of Magicians annual meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And one of the highlights of that convention was a competition among young magicians. And there were maybe uh, 10 magicians who had created these amazing, I think they were seven minute acts or Mm -hmm. 10 minute at the most acts. And they were they were pretty good and the fifth one i think about halfway through this guy came out mm-hmm. and he did an amazing magic act about his life in the gangs mm-hmm. and then he met this magician at a magic shop in new york city where he lived but he was getting caught up in gang life And he started, uh, he met this magician and he started doing magic and he talked about and illustrated it with his magic, how magic saved his life and got him out of the gangs. And I'm sitting there watching this and his name was Devante. And I thought, oh my God, these kids in, in Santa Ana are uh, struggling with people in the gangs, approaching them and trying to get them into gangs. And this guy would be amazing with these kids. And he happened to be a Dominican. So he spoke fluent Spanish also. So they announced the winners of the uh, competition mm-hmm. and Devante didn't win. <laughs> I was amazed he didn't win. It was mm-hmm. such an emotional, moving, powerful performance and life story. But I, mm, I hate to say this, but I don't think the magicians were ready for that kind of emotional storytelling you know i think they wanted multiplying billiard balls and you know whatever (laughs) card productions you know they couldn't quite handle the power of Devante's show Mm -hmm. and actually i talked to a couple of the judges afterward and they they absolutely said that so after the announcement of who won and who didn't win i went over to Devante. And I introduced myself and I told him about Magicians Without Borders and about El Salvador. And I just said, I think from what I saw and what I felt during, you would be amazing with these kids. And I'd love you to come to El Salvador. And then he said one of the most wonderful things. He said, you know, I thought I came to Nashville to the IBM convention 
to win this competition. Mm -hmm. But now I realize why I came to Nashville was to meet you and go to El Salvador. Mm, It was amazing, you know. Wonderful. And and he ended up coming and bringing this amazing guy with him and uh, many, many times. So that's... So, so that's how really cool. um, that, that, that's a that's, pretty cool story. Yeah, about, go ahead. That's yeah. a pretty cool story about how you know you you, you were went to some place for a magic convention and this this connection happened that, that neither of you were expecting and it was pretty wonderful to 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 see and 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 the impact that it has that that it left on magicians without borders for sure because right now we can still yeah. see the ripples of that connection. And in talking with that, about that connection, you said that he was bringing another guy with him uh, to this, to this, uh, to, to El Salvador. So, so who, what, what were your first impressions about this guy and how did you meet him? Well, he, um, he came to El Salvador and um, Devante um, said his name was Six. <laughs> and I thought that was a kind of strange name, Six. Um, I liked his other name, Michael Muldoon, because my family is all Irish. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, Muldoon, maybe he's Irish. And uh, mm-hmm. so anyhow, he said, I want him to come. He's a great guy. And I met this wonderful person named uh, Michael Six Muldoon. And he can... I'd like to tell you why uh, he calls himself six, <laughs> but maybe maybe you know. Maybe he'll or tell maybe, us. Or maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he'll tell us. Maybe but, he'll tell us. But before we bring him on, because he's our guest, I want to show you guys. Uh, oh, my a, God, he's here. Okay, <laughs> I want to show you guys a video that he made of his trips to El Salvador. So we're going to show that video, and, soon, and afterwards we're going to bring him on. So here's the video.
Boom. So that's a video made by this guy that, that we're going to introduce right now. So welcome, Michael Six Muldoon. How are you? I am doing well, guys. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. So happy to see your wonderful faces. Yes. It is, yes. It's been far too long, my friends. Far oh, too long. Yes, yes. Long time, long wow. time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I, I, I guess so. Uh, anytime Tom speaks, I get so lost in his stories that I just like, I was like, oh, I gotta like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go on in a second. But I'm just like, just, just like, yeah, tell me more, Tom. Tell me more. Thank God, that, that video. Oh, it's so good to see you. Brought tears to my eyes. It's oh, just so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It's a, it's a long that, time. That young woman. Who did that Buddha screen, the purple triangle? Oh, uh, she was, Karen? Like, was it Karen? Just so I think it may have been Karen. Yeah. Um, but she was so shy and she couldn't say anything. And somehow you and Devante working with her just brought her out of herself and she got out there. God, that brought that whole thing yeah, back so, to me. So this, this is a, 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 was beautiful. a child that we worked with um, who literally for like four days just said nothing to anybody and mm -hmm. just wouldn't respond and uh, wouldn't really speak in Spanish or English, nothing. Just, just. And at first we were like, well, does she communicate? Like, what's the issue? And, mm -hmm. you know, you start to find out about her story a little bit and you realize you know, there's a lot of trauma uh, in her life. And. It, the the amazing moment because I re, I remember this we were I, I think we were on the beach uh, when this happened so we we had Campamento in a few different places and we ended up doing it at the beach one year mm -hmm. and uh, and that that in itself was amazing because just the, many of these kids have just never seen water never got to go to the water um, mm -hmm. so they were like just to see the ocean uh, it was just like to them they, they were just having the time of their life and just to be a part of that experience alone but uh, I remember specifically Karen just wouldn't communicate with anybody and we're just like well, what do we do and everyone was like oh you know that's just her and whatever the case is and we taught her uh this effect in which it's uh you show a piece of basically cardboard you show it front and back empty and you fold it into a triangle then you reach inside and you pull stuff out mm -hmm. and uh we all did a practice run, so we taught the class. Uh, I think it was myself or Devante. One of us uh, taught the class at the time um, because it, uh, I think it might have been me because these are items that we got donated from Phantasma Magic at the time when I when I when I worked with them. Uh, they were nice enough to send us a bunch of magic sets to bring to the kids, um, and we we we. We, we all just taught it, and then the kids got to uh, take turns to go up and perform it as a practice. And when she got up to perform it for the group, it was just everybody lost their minds. A, she spoke for the first time. B, she added such small subtleties that were absurd. So she like lifted up the screen and reached inside and patted her hand on the table and showed nothing was there and then put it down and then reached inside and made all this stuff appear. And um, to, to say we all looked at each other and just complete disbelief would be an understatement. It was an, it was an ins insane moment. Um, and obviously one that uh, Tom and I would never forget, for sure. Yeah. I think, I remember now, I think her brother refused to join a gang or something and was yes. killed in front of her. Yes. The gang came into their house and killed her brother right in front of her. And she just regressed into herself. And I think it was two like, people. I think either her mother or her father was also killed. I think the first time they went to the house and the brother ran away, like the mother told the brother to run away. And then they ended up killing somebody there. And then they came back another time and he was there and, and they killed him that, that that's time. That's right. That's right. It was just horrible. And 
it was just a very powerful example of how magic just enabled her to find a way to to literally speak and to yeah. express herself. You know? And that's not the first time I've heard this from uh, any magician who does this kind of work. Uh, you know, I I've heard many stories of just kids who refuse to speak and somehow magic became the language that they were willing to communicate through. Um, and and yeah. It's, yeah, it's just it's, magic, it shows you it's far more than tricks. Yeah, magic and the performance gives them the confidence to step up uh, and and you know perform as something different that they have performed all, all their lives. All their life, they, they 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 might have been you know a, a introverted, quiet, you know all all tied up. But when they when they're performing, you can literally see them become someone else and that's so powerful that's so powerful I love and that's part of what we did that's part of what we did in el salvador is that uh you know when when Devante uh brought me along you know part of that story he he shared that that his name isn't actually Devante. that's not the that it's not it's not his name that he was given at birth um and Everyone knew me as six, and obviously, I don't think any parents are naming their child children wow. after numbers. <laughs> Not yet, at least. It might become a trend soon. Uh, but I think um, you know we we did a thing where we did an exercise and where everyone had to create their stage name, and it allows you to create this alter ego, and you get to become this different person on stage, and uh, you really can become anything you want, right? Like you're not limited by your own mental beliefs that you may have of yourself or the social constructs that surround us in this world. So they were able to go anywhere they wanted, and they created their own unique names, and um, you know we we wanted to pass that on to them that you know you can really be anything you want in this world and it's not just on stage because the world is your stage awesome that's such a wonderful story and and well that happened yeah. while you were there and, and all the work you did prior to that but i want to take you yeah. back to to the first time when was the first time that you heard of magicians without borders how was that so you? this is crazy this is a, this is a crazy story um and you know when when tom speaks about meeting Devante, he you know he kind of says this is this is fate this is the world doing its own magic and mm -hmm. i i think i agree with this because what i was a wonderful way to say it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, and i was supposed to be um in el salvador uh, not, sorry, not in el salvador at the ibm convention that uh tom and Devante were at and i, I was supposed to compete alongside Devante. Uh, this is part of a documentary that was being filmed that came out later became a movie called uh, Magic Men, um, which is available on like Netflix and all that, I think, and all that oh, stuff yeah. and like Amazon. Um, and part of this was us filming. Uh, there was like three of us that were supposed to go there and compete in this competition. And uh, what ended up happening was I couldn't go because it was either I forget what day it was, but I was writing a paper for a um uh, a college paper or something about, uh, I think it was like an uh, application to, to like do a transfer to like Vassar University or something like that. And uh, I just got really sick. Like my body just felt weird. I was getting changed to go to class. I go to take my shirt off to switch my shirt and I just get a sharp pain. I start sweating and I just, I just know something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So I hop in a cab and I go to my brother's house because I was home alone. And I was like, I just had to find somebody to be near. I didn't want to be alone at the moment. And I get to my brother's house, and he's just like, what's going on? Try to eat something, uh, drink something. And my, my niece, who was probably like two or three at the time, like just came running up to me, like so excited to see me, like tapping on my leg. And I just like told her, like, you have to leave me alone. And I would never speak to her like that. And, and in that moment, I knew something was definitely wrong. Mm -hmm. So I told my brother, call an ambulance. I have to go to the hospital. And they rushed me into a hospital, and they start freaking out. Like the nurses start freaking out. The 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 EMTs or the paramedics, whichever they were, took me to the front of the line, which was weird in and of itself. 
they rush me into a, a cardiac room because at first they think I'm having a heart attack. So they strap me to all the machines and they're like, maybe he's having a heart attack. And at this time, I'm, I'm 18 years old. So uh, they, they strap me to the stream, uh, machines and no heart attack. Uh, that seems fine. Uh, then they take my blood and then he's asking me questions like, when was the last time you had sex or intercourse or this, that, the other? I was like, what's going on here? He's like, well, we're, maybe this is HIV. And I was like, well, what? Like, so now I'm start panicking with that. That comes back negative. Has to, so now they have no clue. They went to the two major sources that they jumped to and they were like, neither one is the case. We don't know what's happening. So they said, we're going to send you for a CAT scan because you keep complaining about stomach uh, stomach pains. We're going to send you for a, a CAT scan. Actually, they sent me for the x-ray first, I believe. Sent me for an x-ray. And when I stood up to take the x-ray, I just passed out. That's mm-hmm. it. I was just out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I woke up and I told the guy like, "Hey, you like we need to do the X-rays. Like it's already done. We already did it. We're like we're rolling you out of the room already." So they picked me back up and they did it while I was sitting. Uh, and then they said, "Do they seen blockage?" And they didn't know what it was. Uh, so they go for a CAT scan to get a more detailed look. And uh, when it, after that took place, I couldn't even lift my arms. I was like screaming as I was trying to lift my arms above my head. I was in so much pain uh, just to get into the CAT scan. And it ends up that uh, I had a pooling of blood in my stomach. So they said, we're going to wait to see if it stops. You have some kind of internal bleeding. We don't know what's causing it. We're just going to see what happens. Early in the morning the next day, the doctor comes in, and she's just screaming, yelling at the nurses, hurry up, pull this, get him, we're going in. And she hands me a piece of paper, and she says, I need you to sign this paper, um, and if you don't, you're probably going to die, and I need you to sign it now. And I, I, I started laughing, and she's, she said, why are you laughing? And I said, because I'm in the right place. I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, and in that moment, I felt like everything was meant to be in that moment. I was I, I was in a safe space. I signed the paperwork and literally from the moment that I signed the paper to four minutes later, maybe if that I was inside of a silver room ready to go surgery and they did a exploratory surgery where they just cut me down my abdomen and they took out all my org- organs, drained all my blood that was pooling in the stomach and they looked through each organ to figure out what it was. And uh, it turns out that it was my uh, my spleen that ruptured and it was three times the size. And uh, I lost so much blood that I probably would have died within the next few minutes, she said, if we didn't get into surgery because my blood count was so low. So they had to do a, a number of blood transfusions uh, in order to to give me my blood back. And um, and that's why I missed that that specific trip. But here's where it gets strange. Now, here's where the fate aligns because I was in the hospital. <laughs> sounds like a good yeah, excuse yeah. not to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good excuse. Yeah, um, I, I I just had this idea in the hospital. Like I realized that people were donating blood to save me. Like somebody gave blood to save me. This is crazy. Um, so one of the ideas that I had in the hospital is like, you know what? I'm doing this magic thing for money and because I love it and to make a living. But I was like, forget about doing this for money. Forget about doing this for a living. Do it because you love it and do it to give back to the world. Um, so I had this idea. Uh, for starting a nonprofit organization called Magic for Life. And, and this is while Devante is out in IBM meeting Tom. So Devante comes back a week later, he visits me in the hospital and he's like, dude, you're like, oh my God, you okay, this, that, the other. And I'm like, yeah, but I had this idea um, you know, for you know, creating an organization called Magic for Life. And like we use magic to give back. So maybe we do shows and we raise money to donate to, you know, the blood donor organizations or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And like his face in that moment was just shocked. He was like, No, no, you like, he's like, What? You 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 won't believe this. Like I just met a guy who runs an organization called Magicians Without Borders and he invited me to El Salvador. I'm going in a couple of months or a couple of weeks. I remember it was like pretty recent after the convention. Uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going, I think it was like a September that he won or something like that. Um, so it was probably a couple of months or maybe he's like, I'm going next month. So I'm going to go, I'll check it out. Um, it's weird. He just told me to meet him at the airport. So I'm just going to meet him at the airport. And he's like, 
you know, I'll talk to him and I'll tell him about your ideas. Like, why recreate the wheel when one's already spinning? So Devante took that first trip and he spoke to Tom and, uh, you know, told him about what I do. And I, know, I think Tom and I communicated by email a few times. And then, uh, the, you know, they invited me to the next trip right after that. And, uh, you know, then, then it became part of my life. And, I mean, to this day, it still is. It's like it's so embedded in me. Magician Without Borders is, is it's almost like a way of life in many ways. And uh, it, it's almost hard to explain how it shaped me as a human being. And, and even to this day, like, it dictates the things that I do and the way I think about stuff in the world. Um, but that's the fate that aligned me with Devante in that situation with what the idea that I had. I mean, I could have had a different idea and went the other way and said, I can't do this. This is crazy. I mean, I got to get a real job that gives me health insurance and protects me. But I wanted to give back to the world. And Devante just happened to me, Tom. And it, it all came full circle in, in this really beautiful story. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful to hear. Wonderful. How, how that, you know, uh, uh, I'm just, I mean, it's so hard to imagine what you felt or, or what you went through. But that, you know, very heavy situation that happened turn out in a kind of revelation kind of thing like like you know like, like i wanted you use this for good and and and, and that you know a, empowerment that you get when you want to use something for good that you that you know and 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 then something else happens like here's the opportunity like like do you want to yeah. take it do you want to do you, you want to go so when 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 you heard the words Let's go to El Salvador, right? And it's like next week or next month or like, like, like. No, it had to be a while because Devante had to go first. But because mm -hmm. my surgery was so severe, um, it, I, I couldn't go anywhere for like three to six months. So I the the first trip ended up being in March of 2010, and I think um, Devante and Tom met probably uh, in um, yeah, probably July. had to be that summer, July, July of, of, yeah, twenty uh, 2009. And right. that's why he probably went to the September trip or the January trip. And then I, I probably had to take that three to six months to heal. And I was probably able to go my first trip and that uh, ended up being that March trip. Okay. And, yeah. and, and, and when you hear like, it's going to be in El Salvador, right? Like wh what were your first thoughts on it? Like, like, are you really going to go to El Salvador? Did it sound like, okay, let's go to El Salvador. Like, how did it sound to you? It sounded exciting. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, why would I, why, why would I uh, question this? And, uh, you know, I didn't know much about El Salvador, to be honest, at the time. I mean, I was just 18. And, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in New York City and I grew up in a predominantly Spanish neighborhood. I grew up in uh, Ridgewood. Um, I went to school in uh, uh, Grover, Cleveland and Ridgewood, Queens, which is borderline Brooklyn, Bushwick. So mm -hmm. um, predominantly Puerto Rican, Dominican and, you know, different uh, Hispanic and Latin cultures. And so, I, you know, I was excited because... I'm so used to the the people and the language and the food. I love it. I was like, oh, let's go. And then Devante started giving me the information of like, uh, so here's what's happening there in El Salvador. And it's the MS-13, the world's largest and most dangerous gang operates there. And they basically run everything. And we're going to the probably the most dangerous portions you can be in. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not going to be as easy as it seems. Um you know, it, it just, you know, I was still excited because when you want to give back, you want to give back and you want to do so uh, despite whatever faces you. Okay, good, yeah. good. And, and, and when you were feeling like, okay, this is where we're going, this is where, where it's at, what were your expectations going to it? And once you were there, what was, you know, the, the, the reality versus expectations? Yeah, um, I'm not sure what my expectations were. I know I remember I, I was asking Devante tons of questions like, you know, what are, you know, what's happening? Like, what do I do? What do I wear? What do I pack? I don't know. 
Um, so I wasn't too sure what to expect. Um, but, you know, I, I just went ready for whatever came. And then uh, when I got there, it was... I wouldn't say it wasn't what I, what I expected because I, I, I didn't know what to expect. But it definitely felt different, you know, coming from New York. And it really was a world apart. Like, you really couldn't... I mean... Anyone who's ever been to El Salvador, everything is very much low. You don't have tons of high rises. I mean, maybe in, the, in San Salvador, but even then, their their tallest buildings are not nearly as tall as Manhattan and Times Square, where we have towers on top of towers on top of towers. Um, so that was uh, the first change. Uh, I remember it being super humid and sticky as soon as we got off the plane. It was hot. Uh, the airport was nothing like the airport in New York. It was like all windows open. Uh, every low ceilings and it's just sticky and humid no matter which direction you turn uh and it, it was just these uh it, it was amazing like it was almost like um a sensory overload because it was so different so you just i was just taking everything in like wow like i guess i can vividly remember the windows they had in the airport like they're not like these big giant single windows windows it's like those uh those ones with like those plank i guess glass so, so it's like these layers of glass that mm -hmm. kind of all turn individually mm -hmm, so you can yeah. kind of see through all of them uh it was those kind of windows and i remember the guards in like their dark i forget if it was black or like a navy uniform uh they looked like military like it wasn't like police it was like okay that guy's got a machine gun and he looks like he just came out of a tank somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i remember i just remember that my my, my one of my 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 first like wow moments in El Salvador was like we we came to the to the to the airport and we were driving to San Salvador and you pass a, a, a town called Oloquinta which they sell the most wonderful pupusas which is a, a, a popular food from from El Salvador that's yeah. this kind of like tortilla thing with stuff inside it's just wow yeah. it can be made out of so rice good. or so or, or corn it's just delicious and we just parked in this place like right by the road super simple right and then a guy comes like it's usually in in, in south america or or, or or latin america to say hey I'll, I'll look after your car while you're eating your pupusa but and this one this guy just just looking out for your car but he was holding on to a machine gun and you're like what yeah yeah that was like a, a huge like all parking lots had guys with machine guns or shotguns or something to the yeah. effect yeah right that, that that's a little bit heavy a little bit heavy but well mm -hmm. once you were there right you started doing all what, what we just heard tom do, uh, do, uh, talk right you you went and did some some shows so i'm just see, showing some pictures that i, oh, I think are just wonderful do you remember where, something about this place do you remember after asking this many questions like what do i do what do i wear what do i pack what magic do i do over there without speaking that yeah, yeah. That, that's a good question what magic do i do over there because mm -hmm. uh i'm a talker I, I i talk a lot so you throw me on stage and i'm going to talk and that was not optional there um, mm -hmm. and i remember Devante saying like uh like he gave me so much credit as a performer because he said he was so impressed with who i became when i had to perform there he said my facial expressions just the the way i interacted with the kids it was so so funny um and he just said he said i don't know how you were able to do it without saying a single word so i brought all the visual magic that i can do and i really played up the body language to make it funny um and it really hit it really hit uh this was a school that we went to go perform and i don't remember what town it was but i do remember the school and there was a lot of kids and uh we got some uh really cool pictures there 
And as you can see, Tom was taking a picture of me. I wonder where that photo is, Tom. I wonder. <laughs> I think the other I'm, angle. I'm pretty sure that's a, a school in Santa Ana. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's I think so. Cool. And, um, and I, I, something that has happened to me when I've been to El Salvador is that this kind of performances spaces are super particular because you are so far away from the kids because they're sitting on the shade as you can yes. see in the picture right so so the, the you're on on the on the on the stage full on heat and the sun with you but the yeah kids, i look like this shirt this is what i that's what i look like this <laughs> <laughs> by the end of that performance of course because you have to perform there but the kids don't want to be don't want to sit in the sun obviously because it's too yeah. hot so all the places look at us go. look at us wearing all black like, yes. like brilliant men that we are absolutely brilliant <laughs> oh, that's, i mean and, and yeah it's hard to do and here you are again you know with a volunteer and all of yeah. them sitting on the shade and you're <laughs> oh yeah i was sweating so much it was like just sweat dripping off my face there wasn't enough water in the world for me at that time uh it was crazy there's some crazy moments in el salvador i tell you that there's just moments that heat will get to you faster than you realize um, but in in performance you just you don't feel it and but once you get off that stage and you get 30 seconds to cool down the adrenaline goes away and yep, uh yeah that that hurts <laughs> Yeah, but it's wonderful. I mean, those those. Do you have any 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 you know particular stories of something that in one of those performances you know you you realized something or, or you did something that you didn't expect or learned? Oh something? man, I got embarrassing ones, and I, I don't know which way I should go with this. <laughs> whichever way you want, whichever way you want. I almost feel like it was no, it wasn't this place. It, we went to somewhere very rural, like just off in the woods somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, and they were building it. They were they were they were building it. It was just getting built up, and uh, we were getting ready to perform. And I was like 15 minutes before I had to go on, and my stomach was woof. again. The heat gets to you, uh, and my stomach was just hurting so bad, so so bad. Mm -hmm. So I run to the restrooms that are they're just building. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to go to the, the the bathroom and there's just you know you do what you have to do and uh your stomach hurts you try to make the best of it and there's no toilet paper um oh. there's no toilet paper anywhere and you you go to the next i try to like run to the next one and see maybe the, there was no toilet paper to be found anywhere in the vicinity and like i can hear them like oh we're six it's almost time for him to perform and uh, you know <laughs> I want to I want to go perform with one sock that day. So, I gotta see if I can find a picture of me with just one sock on. I have to look through the images. It might, it might be there. It's so funny. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so and then there's and there's scary moments. I remember one time we were performing like an outdoor show for like the small village, and uh, you just seen a guy. There's like a fence in the background, and you seen a guy face tatted up just come up to the gate, and then another guy comes up face tatted up just lean up against the gate and they're just watching us from the distance and uh usually that's the international sign for some kind of gang relation whether it's ms13 or south 18th street and uh a part of you definitely gets a little nervous because like okay they're they're keeping an eye on what's taking place over here and they're gonna have some questions as to who we are and why we're here um but you know at, at some point they just started laughing and they just saw people were having a good time and uh they left it alone which was nice you know so uh you can't always have a negative perception of people yeah. Yeah, uh, Peter Peter one of the barefoot angels. I asked him that. I said, you know, what is your relationship with the gangs? Cuz the place where we gathered there near the bus depot was a very heavily 
uh, populated MS-13 um, area of Santa Ana. And he said, the, the gang members seem to have a kind of respect for us and what we're doing for the community. And I really, I really love that because yeah. there was also a part of me that felt like Peter and Maricela and Zumba and the, these were really cool kids and they were doing magic. And I thought, oh, damn, you know, maybe the gangs are going to want to pull them in, you know, so yeah. they'll, these cool kids. But there was just what Six just said. There was something the gangs kind of left them alone. Once they started performing in the community, the gangs felt, you know, they were really doing something good and they respected them. Which yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Here, I'm, 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 I'm seeing this picture that, that it's, it's one of the kids of Maricela. And, yes. she, and she's just performing. And, and you know, seeing that, I, I don't know if you, Six or Tom, can comment on, on, on what's it like to see one of these kids, you know, perform for, for the first time. Like when you see them perform for the first time, what are you feeling? What are, what are your emotions while, while that's happening? Yeah. Well, the, the mission of Magicians Without Borders is entertain, uh, educate, and empower. And the person who came up with that is with us tonight, you know? I mean, um, sick. I was sitting somewhere, we were having lunch or something, or just talking, and he said, you know, the mission of Magicians Without Borders is to entertain, educate, and empower. I thought, oh my God, that's perfect, you know, and they all begin with E. I mean, it's just such a, a wonderful way to sum up what we do. And when I look at Maricela doing this trick called Backstage, which was a trick we brought down, someone donated it. And that was she, actually mine, mine from my, my, my shows I used to use. I oh, gave her mine. Yeah, yeah. And she she just took to it, and it seemed like kids, the students would take to one trick or another, and for some reason, I forgot you had brought that down. Mm -hmm. But it, it was this wonderful trick, and um, it just, somehow the trick and Maricela connected in a way that she just, it was the first trick I can remember also, there was only one of those. Yes. So she was the only one who did it. Mm -hmm. So it became her trick. It became her way of performing. And she just it just empowered her. It was absolutely what um, Six had said. She yeah. learned the trick. She um, through the education of learning the trick, it just empowered her. And then it empowered her in other ways because um, she ended up saying along with Peter, you know, I would really like to be a chef. And she ended up going to um, a culinary school in San Salvador, the best one in, um, and she's still doing cooking to this day. And um, I think she's engaged now, right? 
and I, I'm not sure how that engagement is going. I, it's hard to keep track of love lives. <laughs> but but when I look at that picture and I see her in front of those kids, because a lot, not quite like Karen, who we were talking about earlier, but Maricela, like a lot of women, unfortunately, in Latinx kind of countries, are kind of taught to step back. And the men sort of are the ones who step out. But um, she really stepped out, you know, in a, in a fantastic way. So yeah, it, it, she's the embodiment of what Six called entertain, educate, and empower. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I remember that, you know, she that you, you made a great point about how everyone be kind of came their own uh, unique effect. That was one of my effects that I had. I used to do in my kid shows when I, I used to do kid shows when I started in magic. Um, and then eventually I wanted a more co a corporate adult and mentalism, mind reading stuff. So I was oh. using my items there and I just saw these kids like enjoying the stuff that I did. So I was like, oh, you can have it. You can use it. And then like, I just couldn't take it back. It just wasn't happening. Like, uh, so there's a few things like there was a vanishing bottle that somebody uh, ended up using. Um, I remember uh, Zumbito always used to do the peanut butter and jelly trick. Uh, so absolutely, every yeah. everyone used to get their own trick and add their own personality to it. And uh, uh, it was it was absolutely special and absolutely amazing. And uh, remember we talked before about the names and like how the power of the name and the alter ego. Well, if you look at her shirt on the back, it says the magic power. And those are shirts that they created and they created their own group while we were back in the States. Uh, and, you know, they were doing their own thing while they were there and ended up uh, forming their own group called the magic power and uh coming together and uniting uh why we couldn't be there and you know i think that's so special too when you can give them the ability to you know work on their own and and and, and make it their own and uh at that point you don't really need us anymore and then uh and that's the beautiful thing right you you, you pass yeah. on these skills and this thinking and this uh this way of being that truly becomes theirs right we we were just the push and then they took it from there. A really wonderful kind of odd thing. Oh, beautiful. Look at those drinks, Tom. You remember those drinks? <laughs> I don't think anybody, oh after God. a couple of those, nobody remembers anything. <laughs> that, that's a margarita from heaven. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it's bigger than my head. Yeah. And I have a big head. <laughs> that, that's what something, I was, okay, go ahead. Tom. Something interesting what Six just said was, they created this kind of magic club and they called it magic power. And at the exact same time in Mumbai, India, the kids we were teaching there created a magic group called Jadui Shakti, which means magic power. Yeah. And it was, they had no communication with each other, but doing magic somehow empowered them. And um, they didn't know the mission of Magicians Without Borders was education and empowerment. But we learned that from them. You know, we saw that so they cool. were getting empowered. And yeah. uh, it's just fantastic. That's, that's yeah. so cool. And, and for me, this is, I mean, this picture that I'm showing is just six with a couple of kids. And then uh, six Devonta and Tom with these huge margarita glasses. <laughs> like, yeah, we're good role models, as you can see. <laughs> but like celebrating, can't work all the time. <laughs> yeah, know? and that's where I'm getting right. Like, like you said, like we've 
you sometimes feel like hey we, when you see them perform the kids that we teach to and they, they they become their own selves on on stage and they develop this this new persona that can perform and that feels empowered and all that you you feel like that joy and that the, of, a, of a job well done right and, and, and i think yeah. that's that's so so powerful and and I, I i wanted to ask you this last question six and it's like do you think michael six Muldoon, even though you've talked about this before but do you think michael six Muldoon is different uh, because of the experience he lived with magicians without borders and if so in what way Wow. Um, you know, I, it's to say different would be an understatement. I, I would go as far to say Michael Six Muldoon is who he is because of Magician Without Borders. Um, because I think a part of me lives that mission to entertain, educate, and empower. So, you know, at one point I wanted to go back and finish my own uh, schooling. So, uh, when I when I first got involved, as I said, I was doing um, some schoolwork. I was uh, had an I was finishing up my associate's degree, but I actually ended up traveling with the organization for a few years before going back and getting the like the last two classes that I that I needed that I didn't get because I had the withdrawal from the, for the surgery. Um, and, and, you know, then I was like, I just always wanted to go back and finish. So I, I went back, uh, you know, four years ago, it actually started. I went back and I finished my uh, my undergrad. Um, so I got a, my bachelor's degree. Uh, that was two years ago I finished that. And then I just for the last two years and I just this past August uh, finished my master's degree uh, in teaching. So I think the, the, the entertainment or edutainment, however you want to uh, aspect is always there. I always want to entertain. Um, uh, and obviously the education and empowering is always what I'm working towards. Right. Um, and a lot of it stems from Magician Without Borders because, you know, I was always traveling with Tom to do these things. And I was like, well, what am I doing in my own neighborhood? Where am I giving back to the people that I grew up in? And even now, like. It's just weird how the world aligns you because I happen to end up working in a school, Newtown High School in, in Queens, New York, New York, um, which is in the, uh, Elmhurst, Corona, which became the epicenter of the epicenter. Like New York City is considered the epicenter and the hardest hit part of all of New York was Elmhurst. It was literally Elmhurst Hospital, which was on the news all the time, is two blocks away from my, my school that I work at. So this impacted all the students that I work with, all their families and all my coworkers and a part of me, you know, you feel you, you, you normally would feel some kind of despair, but with all my experience with Magician Without Borders, you see opportunity here. You see how A, you can help, and B, how you can help people realize that you can find empowerment through these difficult situations. And uh, that carries with me to this day. And uh, the good news is that now I'm excited because now I definitely want to get back more involved with Magician Without Borders because now I finished the degree. I mean, it's very hard to, 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 to do a degree. Uh, and work full time and and work with Michigan Border. So uh, four years ago, I had to put like a kind of hard stop to to working with the organization. And now it's like now I feel free. Like this is the first time that like you said, hey, can you do something at seven o'clock uh, after work? And I can do it because every other day I was coming home to write a paper or do research. And I was just like, you had no time. And like I could just come home at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm home and just hanging out, just whatever I want. So now I can find the time to give back and. Part of that is uh, doing a YouTube channel where I teach magic uh, in order to help people learn magic in a proper way and give credit to um, uh, the people who created these things and magic history. Uh, also to reach other people who for whatever reason that I can't reach. And now this uh, allows me to expand my reach. And then uh, I talked to Tom, uh, I think it was last month, 
and we had a great conversation about uh, other ways in which I can help. And now that I have the time and now that I have a proper income, uh, that helps a lot too, right? I don't have to rely on magic for my income. So uh, now I can make time and contribute financially uh, into to the organization and, you know, uh, bring things full circle. You know, this yes. is uh, this is this is this this is That's the dream. You know, so cool, so cool. Uh, six. I mean, that 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 you went through with all this education of yours, and I see how how this. Whenever we talk about education, and you talk about your teaching, your eyes light up, and you you're very uh, yeah yeah. It. And that's that's so cool to 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 see you fulfilling this. And, yeah. Uh, uh, Let me add one thing to that. Right, I want right. to add one thing to that, and then. Um, and a lot of it is the impact that specifically Tom had. Um, you know, Tom is a professor at university and he always, you know, you just start to realize like the way he thought about the world and the way the way he spoke about the world, it just made you want to be better. It made you want to look and, you know, and find the things that you you aren't doing. And, you, and a part of me was like, we're, we're trying to tell these kids that you can do whatever you want and you can overcome anything. And here I was, I wasn't even finishing degrees that I had access to. Right. I, I had full access to it. I wasn't I wasn't completing it. Um, and, you know, how do I go and tell a kid you can do this and do that? And I wasn't doing it myself. So part of me felt that I had to do it to prove to the kids that, hey, listen, like we can all do it. And I say that because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that I was actually a high school dropout. I dropped out of high school. I, I, I didn't graduate high school. I dropped out and got my GED. And um, now the world, again, as we said, fate aligns. And here I am now a high school teacher. Uh, finish, you know, I, I finished my undergrad with a 4.0 GPA. I finished my master's with a 3.8 GPA. I mean, you know, just to come full circle and like you realize that like maybe I didn't fail high school, maybe high school uh, failed me. And uh, now I want to be the difference to somebody who's in the same situation that I was. And, you know, that goes whether it's in El Salvador or whether it's in uh, New York, uh, you know. So I, I want to take a second to thank you, Tom, for uh, being such an incredible inspiration for for believing in me, uh, the magic that I did. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm completely grateful for everything we've done together. I love you. You are uh, an incredible human being. And uh, I look forward to many more years of working together, creating and giving back to this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Six. Something um, that um, came up when Six and I were talking, you know, a few weeks ago was, um, and, and I think it's one of the gifts that's going to come out of this pandemic is that we're, because we're not able to travel, I think Carlos and I would probably have been in El Salvador um, if it wasn't for the pandemic and other places. Um, but it's making me think more and more about what we can do, not only around the world, but here, you know, in, in North America. And that involves in my imagination, six, you and Devante mm -hmm. and like Ryan Bart, who started yeah. the program in Colombia, he's resurrecting our warrior wizard program because yeah. it's stationed for five years on a base and he's going to start training disabled American wounded vets, PTSD vets, how to do magic so they can perform in the hospitals. But we're going to do some stuff together. Um, yeah. we're not finished. That's yeah. for sure. It was just, that was just a warm up time. Now this is, uh, this is go time now. El Salvador was a rehearsal. So yeah. here we are. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So it was pretty nice uh, having you uh, here six. Thank you so much for taking the time. I just, and wanna... Carlos, thank you. I just want to say thank you because just oh the God. work that you've done from, 
the moments that I left and like, you don't know where things are going. And a part of me was always like, Oh, what's going to happen. And then meeting you and just like, wow, this, this is, this is in good hands. And, uh, you not only did I have high expectations, you blew those high expectations out the water and made me realize that my expectations were very low with everything you've done uh, for the organization. So thank you so much uh, for keeping the dream alive, really, at the end of the day. Um, and again, being another wonderful human being. Much, much appreciated, Six. And since we're in this thank you uh, cascade, I just want to thank you with this picture. Do you remember uh, where, where this is at? Do you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was uh, um, oh was God. this uh, wait, uh, uh, this is Magic Live, right? This okay, is, so uh, let, let me say, let, let me say why this is what happened. This is a very cool moment for me, because in the in the Magic community, I'm I'm always looked at like you know, oh yeah, the the guy that, that does the, the social stuff, right? Like you know, he, he's yeah. you know the social magic guy, right? And 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 in the greatest stage of you know magic conferences in the world right you got a, a a wonderful invitation to 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 have some minutes on stage right this is magic live yeah. in 2016. yes and this is one of the coolest moments that that, that i can remember for me i was not there obviously yeah. uh, and, and i i had not met you yet in person we have no. met on, on the internet but not not, not yeah not 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 in person and a uh, some of my friends were there and i remember that at some random point in the middle of the night someone started texting me and and, and a, a couple of people like hey cool look look at this so cool so cool you you got mentioned you got mentioned and and the work you're doing it's right here and, and from a bunch of different uh, people and it was because you were standing in magic life stage talking about magicians without borders and the work that we do and you said yeah. something about carlos lopez and magicians yeah. without borders and that moment for me was so cool to have you know people texting me of saying ah, you were mentioned in the stage of magic life and it was such a cool moment for me that i just wanted to thank you for it for you know allowing of me course. to live it of which course, was man. just a wonderful moment so Thank you yeah. so much for your for your also your commitment to the organization and all that you've done, all the great moments that you have uh, had the, this kids live, you know, and a bunch of others that I have lived with you. But this one was something that I wanted to share. Oh, thank you so much. And for people who don't know, Magic Live is the magicians. It's the number one magic convention in the world. Uh, I mean, the only other one close would be FISM, but that's more of a competition than a convention. Uh, people go there more to compete. It is a convention too, but really Magic Live, especially in the States, it's Magic Live. Um, and uh, over 2,000 attendees. And uh, I was hanging backstage with Lance Burton. He, he uh, bought me donuts. He went and got some donuts and brought them for me. He's like, yeah, I got some donuts. Hey, you want a donut? I'm hanging out backstage eating donuts with Lance Burton, who's one of the greatest magicians to ever live. Uh, got invited to uh, a party at Chris Kenner's house, and David Copperfield was there. Uh, and anybody you can think of uh, who's who uh, was there in the audience. And it, it was the most nerve-wracking moments of my life. I am backstage freaking out next to Lance Burton, having to walk out in front of 2,000 people. I, I think it was like 1,000 per group. Uh, they broke it up to two, to two sessions. And uh, I, I was on stage with uh, Luis Pedrejita, who's an incredible magician from uh, Spain. Um, uh, Mike Caveney was the MC, who's an incredible magic historian and just a fantastic performer himself. Lance Burton was the opening act. Uh, I mean, I can go on with the list of people, and it, it was just absurd to be a part of that list. And uh, 
Um, I mean, the only thing that could have made it better was having you guys next to me in that moment. Uh, but it, it, it was incredible. Wow. So cool. So cool. Yeah. So uh, this has been so fun. I wish uh, we could do this more often. So maybe yeah. we, we will. We don't know. Maybe we'll have yeah, another, yeah. another one of these conversations with you. Do, do we have time for me to just say one, one last thing? We have thing. all the time in the world, Tom. Go ahead. Okay. I, I really think what Six and Devante did in El Salvador took that first really simple education program that I was doing and took it to another level that inspired me to see this as something that could happen around the world. And now it happens in Colombia and Costa Rica and El Salvador and Brazil and South America and India, two programs in, in And it really, really, really was because of what Six and Devante showed me was possible with what they did in El Salvador. So thank you, thank you, Six. Uh, and it's been a treat being with you tonight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, only thing we're missing are those giant margaritas. I wish we had some more of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and Devante, maybe we'll have to have Devante. You have to get him on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll tell him. Sure. I'll text him right now. Make sure I reach out to Carlos and get on here. Oh, um, yes. It'll be sure. fun. I'll jump back in for that one, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. We'd love yeah. to have both of you here. So. Uh, this is the end. We're going to end this conversation now. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for everybody that is listening to this later on on the podcast or that was live here on, on, on Facebook. We're going to post the video on YouTube a little bit later. So thank you, everybody. And this is the end of Magicians Without Borders Conversation, Episode 5. Goodbye, Six. Goodbye, Tom. Have Bye, a great night. See you guys. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Six. Thank you.